Welcome to the Soft Pants Podcast with Molly Pruitt and Corey Fry. And there's going to be some cursing. My body has decided that it wants to hate the world. I never know how else to explain it. Hate the world? Yeah, it's like world. Or, or just you. I don't want to be like poo-poo on me and my body because we got to stick together. But sounds like your body is not your friend today. No, my body. No. It, it was until about two o'clock. And then just boom. It was just like, fuck you. If I could say that to my body. Or your body would say that to you. Fuck you, Corey. No, I, I am fortunate. You are fortunate. And lucky to have had good health for all of my life. You really are cuz you know this this lineage that I that I hold on to, you know, there's a lot of hiccups in it. You you got the arthritis, you got the autoimmune problems. Well, that's linked to the arthritis. So, the problems with my body, the worst part is my um the arthritis I have on my spine and my pelvis, which is the autoimmune and the arthritis. But then on top of it, to make things better, I have this thing called SI joint disorder. Oh. And people that get this they have like one of three things. They have arthritis in their pelvis or their SI joint. Ding, check, I do. They have scoliosis, mm, check, I do. Or they have two legs that are slightly different lengths. Check, I do. So I have all three, not just one. And then on top of it, because you remember I had that burn? Yeah. When I was little. Mm -hmm. So when they reconstructed the leg, they did the scar. They had to like take the scar out. And yeah. scar tissue rolled in on itself and pulled all the muscles from my hip down towards my knee. Ouch. So that's usually what I'm complaining about is the SI joint or the, yeah, the SI joint disorder. What is the SI joint? It's a joint that's not a joint because it's not movable. Okay. It's in your pelvis. Mine's only on my right side. It is, I don't know how to explain it. It's a little cartilage between it. I understand we all have joints that don't move. Our skull, for example, is made up of seven different There bones. you go. Yeah. One neurosurgeon who was trying to figure out what was going on, he said, you know, some surgeons will tell you that they can pin the joint so it won't move. Don't do it. The joint doesn't move anyways. I was like, noted. All right. Fair enough. Well, but a neurosurgeon would not be the expert as opposed to a osteopath, not an osteopath, uh, an osteodoctor. True. But but the osteodoctor who was looking at the arthritis in my knees because it was so bad. And I said to him, I can actually live with my knees. It's my hip that's so bad. And he goes, two things. He goes, that's not your hip. That's your pelvis. All right, fuckhead. <laughs> whatever. Right. I am not a doctor. And then what was the second thing? He goes, I just do knees. <laughs> it's just like, I, I don't, I, I haven't met this doctor. I imagine he's a skilled and capable doctor. He sounds like a dick. No, he actually had a reputation in this town for being a dick. Okay. Yeah. Well. No, he just, and I found that out afterwards when somebody said, oh yeah, he's, he's so awful. He goes, he's, yeah, he has no bedside manner. I I had surgery on my wrist for um, a carpal tunnel. Oh, okay. This was three, four years ago. It's outpatient surgery. You walk in, you essentially sit on a chair, put your hand on a table, and the doctor comes in and starts cutting and scrapes away some of the carpal stuff that's inside that inhibits the nerves from moving. Yeah, what is that stuff? 
what is that stuff? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I don't know. Um, and that's not the point of my story. So I'm going to move <laughs> on. The doctor who did it, at some point, he was in there and was like, oh, well, I got to get around all these fat cells. Look at that big one. That's a, oh, that must be the extra cheeseburger you had next week. <laughs> Where the fuck do you get off? doing this and of course i'm i'm fully awake there was just a local anesthetic but i can't say anything because he's literally cut open my wrist and has a scalpel in, scalpel in there so you just kind of they just kind of sat there and you know not say anything and he just continued to be a dick yeah my mom will tell you she's she was she was never a fan of doctors being a nurse for all of her career well, and I, you know, I've been, cause I, I had to start going into, you know, hospitals. I spent as a kid, you know, weeks and weeks. I have a good track record with seeing lots of doctors and there's very few that on a, what do you want? I want to say holistic sort of level are good. Mm -hmm. Holistic, not like flighty, uh, spiritual sort of thing, but just on a all around basis. Right. Being able to communicate so that you can actually diagnose. Sure. That's all. I, I understand. I, however, I had a doctor, just a, a, my general practitioner or whatever. He was a super nice guy, but it was at some point I'm like, I need answers from you. He just was like, well, what do you feel? How do you want to do this? What are your thoughts? What is it? And at some point I'm like, I need to, I, you're the authority. Yes, I, I, I will communicate openly and thoroughly about my body and the way it feels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point I need you as the doctor to tell me something. He was a little too holistic. My last, not my last one, but the, the doctor I had for years who I finally gave up because, well, I had gone into when I was like 35 and said, my fingers are crooked. That just doesn't seem right. And I was complaining about really, really a lot of fatigue and he just wasn't catching it. And his end was just like, I think you're just going to have to have pain. <laughs> I was just like, but he was kind of the same way. You go in there and he'd open up his little book. And he's like, I don't know. What do you think? And I'm like, I don't know. If I had the answer, I wouldn't be coming I to you. you. But, you know, I actually went to a doctor just because he was good looking. Seems appropriate. And he had the gall to move away. I really liked that. him. He was the good looking and I really liked him. He was always very enthusiastic. Nothing wrong with that. You know, if it's just, it's just another incentive for you to establish a close relationship with your doctor. Well, he was the one that was Sophia's doctor when she was pregnant with Omar. And he didn't deliver Omar because he went away to Hawaii during her window. And, you know, we were a little like, what? But we called him Dr. Handsome. <laughs> And we knew other women because, you know, Santa Fe is a small town. We knew other women that he had delivered their children or, you know, and they we all called him Dr. Handsome because, you know, he was not only handsome on the outside. He was handsome on the inside. He was just so enthusiastic and so lovely. Yeah. And then he moved away. He was he was he was good looking. He was a doctor. He was nice, just an all-around better human being. He was that holistic. He had it all. And then he went to go move to a place that is even better. Not saying, oh, he's gone on to a better place. That sounds like he's dead, but you know. I don't know. He was gay. His husband was an architect, and I think his husband got another job or something. It was like, okay, fine, whatever. Anywho, the doctors I've had good luck with, I love. I just am so attached to. The rest of them, I'm just like, oh, I, could, I really... I don't even know why you have a license to practice. I, I like want to suggest to them like they need to go think of something else to do with their life. Did you? You you actually said that? No, I did say that to Sophia's fifth grade school teacher, and she did the next year. Well, there you but now I've never said that to a doctor. Maybe I should. 
I, there was a kid at a recital when I was at UCLA, and he was a junior, and he was he was a little nervous before the recital. And I would always tell the kids, listen, there's nothing to be nervous about. It's just a recital. Everybody out there who's watching is your friend and wants you to be fantastic. And all you have to do is go out there and do your best, and they're going to love it. It's a, you know, and be half-assed. And, and it fine. just, it, it doesn't matter. But they think it's, it's a, it's a big thing and they've been psyched up and they've been prepped for it. Cause when you're in the middle of it, it seems like it's a big thing. And if you haven't, if you're not used to going out and practicing and performing solo, he's, he's really nervous. And he's, and he's like, can we turn the lights down on stage? It's on, it, it's hot out there. And I'm like, lights on stage are hot. That's part of being on stage. If you can't do that, if you can't deal with that, you might want to think about doing something else. So go out there. <laughs> On that note, go do your thing. Well, I mean, there's just, uh, that's the reality. You, you, you could, you got to have the lights. So people. You basically have to say to the kid, like, if this is going to stop you, like. Yeah. Most kids actually kind of, that kind of steps them up a little bit. It's a little bit of a challenge. It's not like they're being, you'll pardon the phrase, mollycoddled. It's like, this is the situation. This is what you got to do. Do it. Right. And this kid did not rise to the occasion and he had a really horrible, you know, first half. And he comes storming out and he's like throwing things and kicking things and that was awful. And he blamed me. And, and I said to him, dude, what are you, why are you doing this? This isn't for everybody. Not everybody has to be a musician. You know, you don't have to continue doing this if you don't want to. And he was like, oh, but my family and they have these expectations and they have, he was freaking out and just getting all overwhelmed by the situation. Mind you, I mean, he's a junior saxophone musician. I mean, the, you know, the number of people who make a living playing saxophone are pretty small. There's not like big orchestras that require a lot of saxophone players and you don't have jazz bands like you used to. Oh, hey, Eva. Eva just came in. Oh, hi, Eva. Did she respond to me? Did she say something? Yes, she did. She said, hi, Molly. How are you? But yeah, this kid, and it was the same sort of like, oh, I have all this. a junior in high school or a junior in college? Junior in college. This is at UCLA. Wow. So he's like a 20-year-old. Yeah. And and, and it was like, well, what do you want to do? It's like, I want to be a golf pro. I'm like, go do that then. There's no point. I mean, I can understand a little bit of pressure. Like, I want to be a doctor, but the pressure's too much for me, and I don't want to do it. Now. No, you're a saxophone player, and they, it wasn't even in the jazz player. It was classical saxophone. What is? Is that like Yanni? No, no, not even. The one guy I know who sort of continued doing that, he did sort of light jazz. He released a few like light jazzy CDs that I would see he'd put up on Facebook. So I don't know if he even did it himself or it was a legit thing, but it's not a career track that's primed for success. Like most arts, things in the arts. Sure. And I'm like, you know, this is, you could be an accountant and be like, I don't want to do this. I want to play saxophone. But he was almost the opposite. He was, I don't want to play saxophone. I want to go be a golf. And there are golf pros all over the world. That's true. Because you don't even have to be like on the circuit. You can just be a golf pro in, you know, the local country club. Yeah. You work at the local country club. Maybe there's some small pro-am things. Who knows? Who cares? Who knows? Who cares? There are more professional golf pros who make a living at being a golf pro than there are, I'm sure, professional saxophone players. And you and I could do that, like, you know, that kid, because we have tried to make a living in the arts unsuccessfully. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're on the other side. We're like, "Oh, oh, 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 that's so cute. But to bring it back. Yes, bring it back, Corey. Bring it back. I had suggested if this isn't the thing for you, don't do it. He dropped out a few months later. I mean, I, I'm hoping he went on to- Is he a golf pro now? Uh, I, I don't know. He hasn't really kept in touch. <laughs> that would be I was, really good to know. I was to not know. his uh, a close friend. 
after that? You know, some I students. Know. I don't think he actually liked you. He's probably going to be still talking that story of like that I guy. I think my advice was suitable. It was just the timing may not have been so appropriate. Yeah, I think your timing was really bad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not yeah. there anymore, so. What was I going to? Oh, so Chanel. Chanel, the cat, you know, we've lost two animals in, I don't know, two months. They're very old. And by lost, I literally mean lost. They were there a second ago and then they were gone. But we're assuming they're under a bush and dead. But Chanel, who never, she she liked Ping. Mm-hmm. They would play. But he died in 2017. She never liked Bougie, the cat, and she never had any interest in Archie, the dog. But now that Bougie's gone, she's acting a little odd. She's being nice to me. And then like this morning, she was typically in the morning, she'll kind of mew at our door to be like, coffee time, guys, coffee time. And so Michael goes out. But we, I went out this morning to coffee time. And then she went out to the backyard. She's at the pond and she's just like crying. Wow. And I'm thinking, it seemed like she was like calling out to somebody. And then like a couple hours later, she's doing it again. I think she's calling for Bougie. I think she's actually like looking for him. Well, you need to get more pets then. No, that is not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is Chanel is becoming my friend. And for the first 12 years, I could not stand that cat. And now she's like this morning, she just let me like pet her and she didn't bite me. Wow. She's desperate. That's growth. Yeah. Anyways, I would trade Eva for a second. You want to do a swap? No. Eva yesterday and today has been very, not just affectionate, but insistently affectionate. Oh, I have seen that yes, side of Yes, like her. you will pet me. I want to be pet. Yeah. And it, it's not just sitting there and looking at you. It's full contact. Nudging up against you. Yeah, yeah. And she's, I think she's just kind of itchy all over. So she's always trying to scratch this and wants you to scratch her and pet her and rub her and all that. So I, I'm, I'm assuming it's something a little bit more along those lines as opposed to, you know, she actually likes me that much because normally she doesn't. Are you like giving her like antihistamine or anything? We give her a flea medicine every three months um, that also sort of helps with itchiness and we're a month overdue. So a month okay. and a half overdue. So we're going to give her that again. Soon. Which does remind me, I need to give the, our, our, well, oh, I only, I'm down to one cat now. Need to give her, her, her like mosquito flea thing. Yeah. Hang on a second. I actually have to move Eva because she is laying right in the middle of the door and the air conditioning is on. Eva. Eva, where's Trumi? Go get Trumi. Go get Trumi. Go get her. Good girl. (sighs) She's going to take that the entirely wrong way. You were saying? I'm having, I was sipping my drink. And what is your drink this week? I have two. Okay. I'm into drinking side by side. So my newest obsession is La Croix, which is kind of, that's not new, mm-hmm. but is the um, hibiscus. I drink like two or three a day. So I have to buy a lot of them. So I go to Target every other week. I'm buying like cases and case- I'm just filling up the cart. I'm sure people like, oh, you must have a big family or something. And I'm like, nope, nope. these are all. 
And then I have, I have my rosé wine that I drink with it. Okay. Now, do you have you have Costco? We have Costco. Okay. Uh, Costco out here delivers. Could you like order, have like a subscription every month? They bring by a pallet of La Croix? No, because Costco is an hour away. Oh, all right. Hang on. Even once in again. And- you know, I don't think they do La Croix. I don't, I mean, hibiscus is a new flavor. So I actually don't find it. You know, I, I literally just find it at Target. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Ah. Matt, sorry. Eva is demanding attention and she is scratching at the door for me to pay attention to her. Eva, go get Jerome. Go play with Jerome. <laughs> go get her. There you go. Good girl. I mean, I, I love Eva and all that, but it's just sometimes it's like timing. You mean she's a little needy? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying she can be a little needy at some times, but then other times I'll be like, hi, Eva, let's play. And she's like, eh, eh, eh. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we all have moods, right? Speak for yourself, buddy. No, that's true. You you never have any moods. I'm an even-keeled gal. That is totally true. Thanks for listening to the Soft Pants Podcast with Molly Pruitt and Corey Fry. Music by Mark and the Nephew. Produced by Corey Fry.